My major pain has, has been invisible. The mobility aid makes it better. It gives me freedom. It can get to the core beliefs we have about ourselves. Don't ever think you're alone. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Adriana about type 1 Gaucher disease. According to the mayoclinic.org, Gaucher disease is the result of a buildup of certain fatty substances in certain organs, particularly your spleen and liver. This causes these organs to enlarge and can affect their function. The fatty substances also can build up in bone tissue, weakening the bone and increasing the risk of fractures. If the bone marrow is affected, it can interfere with your body's ability to clot. Adriana displayed symptoms of Gaucher disease from a very young age, but she was constantly accused of causing these symptoms herself. She remembers always having bone pain, but was told it was just growing pains. She experienced exhaustion, but was viewed as being lazy. She had an extended abdomen from her enlarged liver and spleen, and was teased for her appearance. She even saw a doctor as a child who noticed that her labs were off, but said it was nothing to worry about. When Adriana was 17, her sister was diagnosed with Gaucher disease, and when her sister brought home the pamphlet about the disease, Adriana immediately identified with it. She started pursuing her own diagnosis and was officially diagnosed at 18 years old, which was a very validating experience, allowing her to look back on her childhood and understand it through a new lens. But getting diagnosed did not necessarily make things easier for Adriana, because as she started doing the treatments of enzyme replacement therapy, she was given the wrong dosage and ended up taking the wrong amount of this medication for over a decade. The makers of the medication knew about her, knew she was taking the wrong amount of this medication, but didn't have consent to contact her, and it took them over a decade to finally reach Adriana and tell her that she needed to adjust her dose. Now that Adriana is finally on the right dosage of her medication, her fatigue has been greatly improved, and her labs have started to move in the right direction. Even on proper treatment, this disease is still very difficult to manage. Adriana experiences constant bone pain, and she'll tell us what she does to get through the day with Gaucher disease. Adriana has been through a lot at the hands of doctors, but she has come to a place of acceptance with her disease and with the treatment she has received over the years, and it's a really beautiful story. Adriana was so open and honest sharing her story, and it made for a, an absolute joy of a conversation for me. I loved this one. I'm so excited to share it with you, and we'll get to it in just a couple minutes. Thank you all for bearing with me last week as my nasty flare-up prevented me from being able to release a full episode. I did release a short update about my, uh, my search for a diagnosis and the fact that I have a new allergist who believes that I may have some form of mast cell disease. But I heard from a lot of people on Instagram and TikTok wishing me well, and it really, it's just so heartwarming. It's just so wonderful to, to be able to talk about my health and not be shut down. You know, it, it, we talk about that in this episode with Adriana, how common it is to, to try to talk about what's going on with your health and to have people's eyes glaze over and not want to hear it and to to be in a position where I have a place where I can talk about that is incredible. So thank you all so much. My flare-up was improving, but then unfortunately I had to go off of one of my medications because it would conflict with a test that I am taking this week. So I'm struggling through that, you know. Uh, but then I get to go on that, back on that medication and hopefully I'll continue to improve from there. 
I'm hopeful to not have any more interruptions in our podcast schedule, but you know, with a chronic illness, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, so make sure you are uh, following us on our social media, TikTok and Instagram at Major Pain Podcast. I will always keep you updated on what's happening with the show on those platforms. If you ever have questions for myself or our guests on the show, you can always reach out through email, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com, or you can leave a comment on any episode of the show on our website, majorpainpodcast.com. I love to hear from the people who listen to the show. Thank you so much to the community of listeners who are supporting this show with monthly financial contributions through Patreon. It is incredibly appreciated. Extra special thank you to our Patreon producers supporting the show with a generous contribution of $25 per month. Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Check out our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast, where you can learn more about the gifts and recognition you can receive for supporting this podcast for as little as $2 per month. Once a month, Andy and I sit down and record a bonus episode for all of the community supporting us on Patreon. And we actually just recorded that a couple days ago and released it. It is now available, the bonus episode for the month of October. And it was great. Uh, Andy and I are having some really powerful conversations over on Patreon. And this month, we talked a lot about her chronic illness. She was on the show um, early on talking about her pituitary adenoma. And the medication she's been on has been really, really awful and has some really horrible side effects. Um, and we've been talking on the bonus episodes about how she has been the one living with a chronic illness recently. And I've been on a bit of an upswing um, and she's been feeling the effects of these medications. So, um, this is a really powerful conversation. I just wanted to share this clip with you of the bonus episode that came out this month. Chronic illness has taken up so much space in our story yeah, <laughs> and in our lives and in our relationship. And it's okay because it doesn't, we don't get to control that, you know, but to have something that's mine, that's taking up space now, it just feels really frustrating. It just feels like there's so much more to us. There's so much more we have to experience. And like, and I just, I don't know, it's felt like such a defining feature of this past era of our lives. And it's really hard to feel like you can start a new fresh chapter with these things that are just like lingering, you know? I was really struck by that clip as we were chatting and just wanted to share that with you to give you a sense of what it is that we are talking about in this month's episode. We also talk about how Andy is recovering from COVID, which is why we had to record in separate rooms this month. Uh, and we talk about our birthdays and what we did for both of our birthdays, which happened in September. And of course, all the TV we've been watching recently, including Lord of the Rings movies, Andor, She-Hulk, and this new show, Reboot, that I am really, really loving. So, if you are already a member of the Patreon community, that episode is available to you. And if you'd like to join Patreon and gain access to all of our bonus episodes, we now have 12 bonus episodes available. It starts for as little as $2 per month, and you can find it all at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast. You can also support this show and the chronic illness community by signing up to participate in research studies and surveys through Rare Patient Voice. If you use our link, rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast, you will support this show while you are signing up, and you can actually get paid for your time, an average of $100 per hour to participate in research studies and surveys. 
It's an awesome opportunity. I hope you will check it out. That's rarepatientvoice.com slash majorpainpodcast. There is a link in the description of this episode. Towards the end of our episode today, I talk with Adriana about how I'm still waiting to hear back about my disability appeal. And actually, just a couple days ago, I finally got the letter. And of course, I was denied. So this is my second denial. I have 60 days to figure out what I'm going to do next. I'm in this weird position where I'm once again hovering around a potential diagnosis. And it's a diagnosis that has a lot of treatments that could help me get back to work. So I'm really not sure what to do at this point if I should try to fight um, and push through for and try to try to, you know, get a lawyer basically and try to fight for this disability or focus on trying to get this diagnosis and see if I can go back to work because if I can, I'm not going to get disability. So I don't know. I'm trying to figure this out. I have a couple months. So I, I really do, I'm kind of at a loss for what to do at this point. But if anyone has experience with this type of thing that you'd like to share, I'd love to hear from you. Majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. One more thing I kind of wanted to throw out there. So I made a Twitter for this podcast, uh, I think over a year ago, and just realized that it was kind of too much for me to manage. You know, TikTok and Instagram are platforms that I'm more comfortable sharing on, and I really, you know, use a lot. And Twitter is one that I I go on and and sort of uh, look at things. I'm a lurker on Twitter, but I I don't really post there that much. Um, but you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to find ways to reach more people with this podcast. And I feel like Twitter could be a good one, but it's just sort of beyond me. So if there's a listener out there who wants to get involved in helping to support this show, who loves Twitter and feels comfortable using it and might be interested in posting about the weekly episodes on this show and maybe some of the past episodes as well, build up our Twitter profile a little bit. I would love to talk to you. Um, I would really, really appreciate that help. So please reach out to me if you're interested in, I guess, being our Twitter intern, we could call it, uh, our Twitter manager. Uh, reach out to me at majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. I will remind you, as always, that I am not a medical professional, and this podcast is not intended as medical advice. So please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this podcast without first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our fantastic episode with Adriana about type 1 Gaucher disease. Adriana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be on here. Yeah, I'm really excited to chat with you today. We uh, we got connected through comments on a TikTok thread, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, yep. isn't that crazy the way the world is now, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, TikTok has been so helpful for this podcast. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and so you have a disease we've never covered that I've never heard of. I'm really excited to learn about it, but before we do... Let's get to know you a little bit. Um, Adriana, can you tell us about yourself? Sure. So um, I'm 46. I have been in San Diego my whole life. I did not grow up very Americanized. Um, my mom was a single mom. She was from Spain. I grew up extremely immersed in the Spanish culture. Mm. Um, so it's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm very, I'm, if you ask my mom, my mother, I was way too Americanized, but compared to like friends, that was always interesting that like, it was just, there were differences. Um, so yeah, I grew up, I grew up, you know, not wealthy at all. <laughs> My mom was a you know, single immigrant mother working nights. And, um, it was me and two of my sisters that lived in the home. And then now, so now I'm married, I have two young adult daughters 
And um, I work in healthcare. So I work full time. I work mostly from home, which is awesome. Mm. But I do have to like go out, you know, sometimes to sites or when we're training new providers or whatnot. Wow. Awesome. So when I was like 19, I went on a Europe trip with my sister and some friends and we went to Barcelona and Madrid and it was beautiful. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. I finally went in 2019 and I did Madrid, Granada, and then the most of my time was in Sevilla, which is where my mom was uh, raised. And I got to meet up with her cousins and mm. I could, I could live there hundred percent. I could live there. What was it like to go to your ancestral homeland for the first time? Super emotional, mm. super, super emotional. But I will honestly tell you, it felt like I was home. Wow. I felt so at home there. I was like, it, yeah, I don't feel awkward at all. This is amazing. Yeah, but it was emotional. That's so interesting, like how there seems to be some sort of, you know, like ancestral memory that lives in our cells somehow. Yeah, yeah it's crazy because I had, I had apprehensions. I was like, is this, am I building this up more than it's going to be? Like, am I going to be disappointed when I get there? You know, just like all those things you think about. And no, it was better than I could have imagined. And I got to see where the um, place my mother grew up in and um, like the man, they were, he was so nice. He let us into his house and like, it was like a little apartment and he remembered my grandmother and he's like, oh yeah. And I, it was just different. It was so cool. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and, you know, before we started recording, we were chatting about how you live in San Diego, which is my hometown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. And so tell me, what do you do in healthcare? Um, so it's, it's kind of funny that you ask this right now, because normally I work in the administration side of urgent care and we have five urgent care sites and, um, I work on the back end of all that, but right now I'm on loan to our clinical informatics department. So my job is a little bit different right now. Um, I spend once a week training new physicians or nurse practitioners, PAs on our computer system. Um, we support the clinical side, whereas my other job supports the front desk side. This job is supporting the clinical computer aspect of it, not like the treating patients, but the computer aspect of it. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So, I yeah. It's always fun to talk to people who are in the medical field. Um, yeah. Although it's good to remind listeners, this is not medical advice. This is not at all. Yeah. Not at all. No, I am not qualified to give medical advice whatsoever. Yeah, and I'm I am. <laughs> I am most certainly not qualified. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So well, let's get into your your health journey. So, Adriana, sure. what is your major pain? Okay, so I have Gaucher disease. It's a G A U C H E R. Um, it looks like gocher when you look at it. I have type one, which is the best type to have. Um, unfortunately, type two, um, it, it, it's, it's very sad to talk about it, but type two generally doesn't live past the age of two or three. Wow. Um, type three comes with more neurological issues. Um, so I'm, I, it, as much as I hate having gocher disease, I'm so thankful I have type one. Yeah. What, what is gocher disease? So the way I explain it is I am missing an enzyme. So like fatty cells get um, built up in my liver and my spleen and my platelets get caught there. So I have an enlarged liver and spleen. Um, it affects your bones. So I have uh, major bone pain and um, low platelet count, um, fatigue. Those are, I, I think if I were going to complain about the most, it would be the bone pain and the fatigue. It's just it's it's rough. Wow. I mean, this is so interesting because, you know, we talk to a lot of people with, you know, fibromyalgia, chronic pain, undiagnosed disease, 
And I'm just sensing that this must be something that many people out there might have and have no idea and be diagnosed with, you know, a diagnosis of exclusion like, like fibromyalgia and have no idea what the underlying cause of their pain might be. So true. And I went 18 years being undiagnosed. Wow. Um, I, so I 18 years without um, treatment because I was brushed off a lot. I didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, so yeah, like it's just, it's when I got my diagnosis at 18, I felt like my whole childhood made sense. Wow. I was like, I'm not crazy. And so I do infusions. I have a port. Um, I'm very fortunate that I self-infuse and I have always self-infused since I was 18. Um, I've never had to go in. I had an, the nurses come out maybe two or three times to show me how to do it. And after that, I was on my own. Wow. Okay. I have a lot of questions. Yeah, um, <laughs> absolutely. I'm very open. <laughs> yeah. Let's go back to, to childhood. Tell me, tell me about this bone pain. When did this first start? So I, I always remember having bone pain and I would always be told, oh, it's growing pains. I'm five one. So I did not grow that much for, to have the amount of pain that I would always say, like, I would always tell my mom, my knees hurt and my, like just my leg pain. And it would just be attributed to growing pains. Um, at one point I, well, so my mom was from Spain. She was a flamenco singer. Uh, It was her side hustle. And so by default, we had to dance. And so I was a flamenco dancer for a short time, but I would tell my mom, like, it just hurts. It hurts so much, but it felt like I was kind of viewed as lazy. And, um, because I had an extended abdomen, it was like, I was chubby. Mm. Um, so I always thought that like, well, I just have a big stomach. Like I, I didn't know any better. And the other interesting thing is my mom being European, she napped every day. She had her siesta every single day. I did not know that wasn't normal. I was so tired that I napped too. I would come home from school and I would take a nap. I didn't know that that's, it's not really normal here. Like that's Mm. not, you shouldn't feel that way all the time. Yeah. Do you remember a time before having this pain or was it just always there? It's just always. And I, I, I've always had the pain and I had bruises up and down my legs. Um, I remember in high school, a counselor asked me if I was okay. And I was like, I'm just a klutz. Like I, I'm just klutzy. I, cause well, how else do you explain? Why do I have bruises up and down my legs? Mm. I am a klutz to be honest. I'm not <laughs> but, um, yeah. So I just, I didn't know. And I remember once, um, so I love to read and I was a teenager reading this book and the girl in the book got leukemia and I felt, which is a common misdiagnosis, just FYI mm. of Gaucher diseases. People sometimes um, are diagnosed with leukemia first and that they don't have that. So I went to the doctor and I was telling him, and I didn't tell him I thought I had leukemia, right? Cause I was like, I'm not going to diagnose myself, but I was telling him all my symptoms. So he did my labs. And I was also telling him like, it's very difficult for me to do PE. Like it just, it hurts so much to do PE. So his mind, I think he attributed like, she just wants a permanent PE excuse, which he did give me, which was pretty awesome. But, um, <laughs> He did my labs and I remember him saying, well, they're off, but we didn't find anything. What? I was a teenager. Like I just accepted the answer. And looking back, I'm so mad because yeah, they were off for a reason. Wow. You didn't go deeper into that. Yeah. It's so frustrating. It just, it makes me yeah. so angry. I mean. Oh gosh. Yes. Like it's. Yeah. It's extremely frustrating because I felt like I was very much ignored growing up. Um, all of my symptoms. Yeah. T- tell me more about so so enlarged uh, liver and spleen. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, so it's kind of funny. Like when I look in the mirror, I can actually see my spleen protrude just a little bit, Wow. Um, but it's more like the lengthwise too. It was just, it was just, it's, it shrunk a little bit having been on treatment and whatnot, but yeah, it just stores all of those fatty cells in your platelets and, you know, and then it, it spreads to you like your bones and your bone marrow. And yeah. So, so you're blamed your whole life as a child for, for what your body is naturally doing because you have a disease. Yeah, you're blaming yeah. for you're accused of being lazy uh, when in fact it's just really hurts to move. Um, yeah, people are commenting on the way you look when in fact you have organs that are swelling. And yeah. is that something that got larger and larger over time? Um, I'm sure it did. I don't remember like when I was really little how big it was, but I could look at pictures yeah. and see my abdomen was large and. And this happened a lot after my diagnosis when I already knew, but I can remember once um, I was 17 and I got asked if I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And as a 17 year old girl, your self-esteem is already not great. And it, it broke me. I was like, and and that continued, that really did continue for several, like several, you know, at least 10 years of people going, Oh, Winnie, you do. Wow. Cause I was skinny everywhere else. Now I just kind of gained the weight all over. So I'm proportioned. (laughs) Well, it's just so frustrating that we have these, you know, societal standards that when you don't meet it, you are mocked. When mm-hmm. people don't, you know, people have all sorts of different bodies for all sorts of different reasons. And why aren't we giving each other the benefit of the doubt to just show up and appreciate each other for our own humanity? Like, why does it all have to be so superficial? It's so true. It's so true. I mean, the beauty standards, today it, it, they're just awful. I mean, and, and really in general, if you look at everything and not to go off on a tangent, but if you just look at the Little Mermaid, like why is this a big deal, this I live know. action Little Mermaid? Why, why can't we look at her talent? Well, so it's just, you know, people just put in their mindset and, and it sucks <laughs> pretty yeah. much. Yeah, it's so frustrating. I mean, you know, I, I'm thinking about this because uh, my, my partner Andy and I are watching through the Lord of the Rings movies. She's never seen any of them. And I'm... <laughs> you haven't either. <laughs> well, the, the original trilogy is, is incredible. The, the very first one, The Fellowship of the Ring, is one of my absolute favorite movies. And we're watching it right now. It's, you know, we're watching the extended edition. It's like three and a half hours long. So we're taking it in little chunks through, throughout the week. Yeah. Uh, but there's this new show on Amazon, The Rings of Power. And they have cast it diversely. And, you know, even the original Tolkien, the original books made mention of diversity, but the movies were shot, I mean, it's literally just all white actors. And it's like, okay, that was an oversight. You know, that was a mistake to cast all white actors. But now that they have, you know, corrected that in this new show and are casting it diversely, there is this huge backlash. It's that same racist backlash of like, oh, this is not accurate to, to the original. And it's like, no, that's not true. The original was not accurate to the books. You know, the, the diversity right. in the original was not accurate. We're fixing that. Having a show in 2022 be all white is offensive. And we can't do that. You know, we have to change. And these and people we who... And yeah. we should, you know. And that... So, I think... Not to cut... I feel like I cut you off. So, I apologize if I did. Um, but you're absolutely right. Like, even something like that where the original did not follow the book. The original went with an all white cast, whether or not it was an oversight or whatnot. Right. So now they're like, Oh, you know what? Let's not do this. Let's do diversity. And people lose their minds. The best thing that like Lin-Manuel Miranda did was Hamilton. Like how beautiful was Hamilton? I don't know if you've seen it, but it was just like to see representation for so many people that have never been 
um, represented on stage. Like yeah. how beautiful is that? Yeah, I know we're on a little bit of a tangent, but I this is really, know, really <laughs> important to me. I mean, like we are embracing the totality of humanity that has been that has been, you know, erased through things that like just don't include diversity since the beginning of Hollywood. And if you think back, like Hollywood is not that old. We've been making one huge mistake the entire time. Like, yep. let's fix it. Let's fix it. I, I agree. I agree. And um, clearly you can see I am very, very white passing. I got my dad's coloring through and through. I didn't, did not get my mom's coloring. So I have always seen representation on TV, on screen, on this. Imagine Hollywood not doing this for so long. And now these little girls get to see somebody who has the same skin color as them. Somebody... How beautiful. We, You and I don't know what it's like to not have seen that because we have seen people that look like us all our lives on TV. And so one of the things about, you know, and this is why I I do love TikTok. And even though there's some crazy people on there, these videos of these little girls watching Ariel. (laughs) I know. I was going to say that. Just that, like... I just, it makes me cry because I think, oh my gosh, they, these, this little girl has never seen such a well-known character, a princess look like her. Yeah. I don't know how anyone could watch those videos and not recognize the importance of Mm -hmm. diversity casting. It's so, it's like so crucially important. You know, it sends a message to all of society when you erase diversity in, you know, whitewashing film and, you know, huge double standard, huge problem. Bit of a sure. bit of a bit of a sidetrack, but it this is related because it's this idea of like the way that people are born and the way that we look naturally, you know, that needs to be okay across the board. It, yeah. It's not fair to um to judge people based off of how they're born, based off of their appearance. And you know, sure. th- there's like all sorts of uh chronic health conditions that cause um changes to your appearance. And yeah. you know, to live inside of a body that is chronically ill and maybe is changing the way that it looks outwardly because of that illness, like to have that added layer of self-consciousness that, oh no, I, I might not um, look the same as I used to and maybe I'll be judged or mocked for that. So deeply unfair. It is so deeply unfair that that is a societal pressure that we all have to live under. It really is. And, you know, you use the word invisible, like, because it is invisible. And so somebody will be so accepting of somebody parking in a handicapped spot if they have a wheelchair or they have a walker, but someone else who you don't know what's going on and they have a handicap placard. Don't Mm -hmm. question them. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't question them for accusations. If you're trying to be like inform yourself and educate yourself, that's a whole different story. But when you're accusing somebody, you, you nailed it when you said you don't know what's going on in someone's body. And some of us look so normal quote unquote normal on the outside but you don't know what we're going through on the inside and i do feel like you know people do think i'm lazy and they do think um but another thing is like people don't like to hear about it either it's a really really interesting it's like there's almost like okay change the subject to the subject and i'm like but i'm not looking for pity i'm literally just trying to educate you or help you understand me but it's like a taboo topic people don't want to I'm I'm nodding my head over here. <laughs> yeah, I can see. I'm like you probably feel that. Like oh, they don't want to the hear. They don't want to hear your issues. Yeah, it's it's like the ve- one of the very first things I ever said on this podcast in the very first episode is like 
when I try to talk about this, people's eyes glaze over and I can tell that they're uncomfortable. And yep. when, when you are living through a, a health crisis or just a chronic illness or a disability and, and you feel like you can't talk about it because it makes the world uncomfortable, then you start masking this thing that is like crucial to who you are yeah. because yeah. these things do become a part of us, you know, like living through, when you live through something that's this difficult um, and then you can't tell anyone, but then they all think that you're lazy, like yeah. it's off. Like that is such a horrible feeling. And that's, you know, why I wanted to create this space to, to give us all a place to speak on these things and feel like heard. Cause that, I mean, it's so incredibly healing to me to, to feel heard in that way. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And I was telling you before we started, like, I'm so thankful you're doing this podcast because what makes people uncomfortable is our reality. And it, it doesn't define me, but it's my reality. It's a part of me. And yeah, like, I just, I, I don't understand. You're, you totally nailed it. Like the eyes glaze over this, like, okay, no, 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 super uncomfortable. And it's like, are you worried about offending me? Or you just really, you just don't want to hear it because, oh God, that's just too much. You know, wait till it, you know, hopefully it's not ever your kid, but what if it were your kid? You would advocate for them, right? We're just advocating for ourselves. Yeah. And I mean, what if it becomes you someday? You know, like so many people who live healthy, active lives right now will become disabled someday. Yeah. And a lot of those people might be a part of this erasure of disabled people. And then if, if that becomes you, you have been an active participant in erasing yourself for decades yep. maybe and all of a sudden you have to unravel that it's way easier to just like start accepting people now just like let people come to you tell you who they are and and what they live through and accept what they tell you why not you know you can learn from everyone that you meet on the street if you just let them share with you who they are so true so that's so true and yeah and like and and on that like don't judge somebody when they can't do something like if like, yeah. for instance, if somebody said to me, oh, um, we're going to go skiing or we're going to go snowboarding, I'm going to tell you, oh, sounds like a fun trip. I'll go and I'll hang out in like, you know, the lodge or whatever. And that would be great. But I, I can't ski. I can't. And it's like, you know, or, and they're like, we can help you. You don't understand. If I fall, I'll break. I've broken my arm four times. Now at my age, I might break a hip. I could have internal bleeding. And so I, I know my limitations and I just ask that you respect my limitations. It's, it's a hard thing. I actually had a friend, a quote unquote friend where we don't speak any longer, but um, I, for a long time, I was under um, dosed with my infusions. I was not on the right dosage. So I was not feeling better how you're supposed to feel after an infusion. And so I slept a lot. And she would tell me, you know, the more you sleep, the more tired you are. (laughs) (laughs) You don't understand. This is not a tired. This is, I can't move. I'm so exhausted. I'm going to fall asleep standing up. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, you know, I, I still don't know what my chronic illness is, but I've been on new medication recently and I've been sleeping a little less. It's like my body is, this medication has been really helping. I've also been on a low histamine diet. That seems to be helping my whole body's working better and I'm sleeping a little less. I'm a little more active, more functional. And I just think back to all the times people told me that I was doing this to myself by sleeping too much, you know? And it's just, it makes me so mad because like when you hear that enough from doctors, you start to internalize it and say, am I sleeping too much? Am I doing this to myself? You know, that 
that, you know, the classic medical gaslighting. And then when something changes because of medical intervention and you kind of come back towards a baseline that feels a little bit more normal, it's just, they just reevaluate all the times you question myself and I just get so frustrated, you know? (laughs) I hear you. Yeah, I really agree. I agree. And it is, and is that the gaslighting is huge, unfortunately, um, in the medical field when, when you have something that's, they can't figure out, like in your case, I feel for you because not knowing it's like, are you taken seriously then when you go in with your concerns because you don't have that official diagnosis? Almost never. Seriously, yeah. And that's not fair. That's yeah. not right. Yeah. And, you know, it's taken like extreme persistence. There's been so many times in my life where I stopped looking because I just knew doctors weren't going to listen. So why even go to the doctor? Um, but I had to keep trying and I finally found good doctors and it's amazing. But and, yeah. I mean, it sounds like, you know, you lived that your whole childhood, but then when you were 18, you finally got diagnosed. How did that happen? So super weird how I got diagnosed. So my um, sister, so my oldest sister passed away um, the day before I turned 15. So life was very much different than in my household, right? My mom became very sick. She had rheumatoid arthritis. She, you know, she kind of checked out in a way because she was dealing with the loss of a daughter Mm. and she was dealing with her own health. So I kind of was, raising myself. Um, and, um, so I, you know, kind of knew these issues. I wasn't feeling well. And then my other sister went to the hospital. She got really, really sick and, um, she ended up getting a blood transfusion because she was so sick, which go figure. She has gauche. She also later got diagnosed with lupus, but, um, when she came home and she had the pamphlet on gauche disease, I started reading and I was looking at all of the symptoms. And I, I felt this, it was just a click. This is what I have. I, I know this is what I have. This is me. This matches everything I've complained about. So I took myself to the doctor and it was, I, I got referred somehow to a hematologist, thankfully. And he said, I'm pretty positive you have it, but we still have to test to get the official diagnosis. So at that time, so this time I was, I think I was 17. I wasn't quite 18 yet. I was 17 and um, they did a bone marrow test. That was the type of test it was. And I don't know if you've ever had a bone marrow test, but it's excruciating. And <laughs> I went by myself because nobody was going to go with me. And I remember it hurt so bad and I could feel the grinding in my bones. I, I didn't, I wasn't still, I moved too much. So the test came back inconclusive because I didn't, they, I don't know if they didn't get enough. So now kind of the age thing is important. So now I'm 18. I know that I have to get a full-time job because I need health benefits. I'm dropping off my dad's back then. You didn't stay on until you were 26. Um, and my dad had insured us. So uh, I knew I had to get a, a good job with good benefits, which led me to where I work now. I've been there my whole life. <laughs> so then in that time, because I had to take that little bit of time to to get established with the doctor and whatnot, they had a blood test. And thankfully, and actually the doctor that I saw, the primary doctor I saw knew of this disease and he ordered the blood test and it confirmed. Hmm. So it kind of really, um, cause that's another thing. I got really lucky that my doctor knew. I have a lot of doctors that'll tell me, well, I remember reading about that in med school. I can't, yeah, but I'm sure you've never seen another patient with it. Right. Yeah. Wow. So, you had one sister who passed away and then another sister who 
has Gaucher disease and was diagnosed before you. How old was, was that sister when she was diagnosed? Um, okay. 22. Wow. And yeah. had she been experiencing similar things her whole childhood, similar pains? Yeah, I think um, hers, well, she, a lot of like what she went through in her teenage years, I think you can attribute to the lupus that they didn't know she had. Oh, wow. not really, we got the wrong end of the gene pool. Let me tell uh. you, because in order to have gauchets, both your parents have to be carriers. Mm. Um, so lupus, of course, is a little bit different than that. But um, there's only a 25% chance when both your parents are carriers that you that they're going to pass it on to their children. My mother and father had two biological children together because my oldest sister had a different dad. Both the two biological children they had together ended up with Gaucher disease. And you've got, and not only that, it's most commonly found in the Ashkenazi Jewish population. Now I've done my DNA and I kind of hit a little bit in that area, but like my dad, my dad was like from Oklahoma and then like his DNA is like all English and Irish. And then my mom's D like my DNA from my mom is Spain and North Africa. What are the odds <laughs> that they're both going to be carriers? Yeah. Wow. That's wild. So now yeah. is there like a genetic, genetic test you can do for Gaucher disease? Yeah, there is, there is. Um, and now it's in, and now with the blood work, you don't have to do that that horrible bone density. Um, so I, I didn't, we did not, I was young when I had my kids. So we didn't test my husband to see if he carried it. And now it's like the insurance is like, well, you already had your kids. Why do you need to? But I've had my kids, you know, it's been a constant concern. Their whole growing up. So I've had them checked and my, my youngest um, has had a lot of tests just to ensure that they don't have it, but they are both carriers. Cause that's the only gene I can pass on. So they know that, Moving forward in life, they carry this, this yeah. uh, gene. It must be such a complicated feeling. I feel super guilty. Um, I do have a lot of guilt that I, that I, yeah, that I pass this on. I do. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, you have this disease and your parents passed it on to you and you wouldn't exist had they not created you. True. And I don't blame my parents. I mean, yeah. and they, and they really didn't know, but I don't blame my parents, but, but man, they were the two bad people to meet each other. Cause their genes are just like that. Oh, I got the wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So you got diagnosed officially. Mm -hmm. um, how did you feel at that moment, looking back through your life and finally understanding some of what you'd experienced? It's funny because I, I was scared and I was trying to process and it was, a lot, but at the same time, it was so validating. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not lazy. I didn't make up this pain. This really is what this explained so much. So in so many ways it was validating, but in other ways it was scary. And I was trying to emotionally handle now you have this disease and your life is going to be much different because now you need to be on treatment. Now you need so Yeah. So what what is the treatment? So it's an enzyme replacement. Um, at the time, it's it was um, called Ceridase at the time. And now it's Cerazyme. But basically, I had a port. I'm on my third port. So I had a port implanted and um, just self-infused. I do it back then. It was three times a week. So it was a little hard to be really um, compliant with that as a young, you know, young and young mom after that. And 
so there was like at some point, I want to say maybe two, I could have my years wrong, but like 2008, 2009, there was a virus in the plant that made this medication. And um, when they were able to get back on track, they changed how it was. So now it's um, every two weeks. But unfortunately, they did not adjust what I should have been at. Mm. When I went to, so, and I didn't know that. So I was thought, you know, when Facebook started and had this, they have this group for Gaucher disease and people would comment like how great they felt after their infusions. I was like, I don't get it. Mm -hmm. I don't feel any better. I don't feel any different. And then um, in 2017, I decided because they, at some point, like in the mid two thousands, they came out with a pill form. I think it was like, like in the teens somewhere in there, you know, right. They came up with this thing called Zerdelga and I 2017 decided, okay, let me try this. I felt amazing for two weeks. I was like, this is what it must feel like. This is what people must feel like all the time. And then unfortunately after two weeks, the side effects just um, were really bad. I had intense heartburn to where I would actually vomit. I had ankles that were three sizes. Um, It hurt to walk. I'd had really bad headache. So then I went back on infusions and then somehow at that point, which is kind of weird, the makers of the medication finally were able to reach me to get consent or get consent to talk to me. I guess they've known about me all these years, but they didn't have consent to talk to me. Wow. So super crazy, right? So then they, they come into town, they take me out to dinner and I have a patient advocate and a patient liaison and they're telling me you're not on the right dosage. Wow. And I'm like, what? And so they opened my eyes to you're not, you're on the dosage of a 10 year old girl. So I um, go to my doctor. He blew me off. Um, He was like, no, no, you're fine. So I didn't, I was just like, you know, sometimes you just get like, I still want to fight it. Like, what's the point? This is my life. Thankfully, I'm really thankful to these two women who were like, we can't tell you what to do, but we just really want you to know that you're on the wrong dosage. Kind of pushed it again. So, um, I went back to my doctor and I pushed it and lo and behold, I now understand why you feel better after an infusion. Wow. How long were you on the wrong dosage? Well, I got on the right dosage at the beginning of 2020 and I was diagnosed in when I was 18 to 94. No way. So like 12 Uh, years. Well, well, so maybe in that beginning, I was on the right dosage. In the beginning when it was Saradays. Oh, and then, okay. Because they reformulated. They got a different yeah, technology yeah. So, to create right, the medication. Yes. Okay, okay. So maybe the wrong dosage started after the plant opened up again. So maybe yeah. like 2009 when I never got reevaluated for this new every other week versus three times a week. So at least like at least a decade. Oh, for sure. On the for wrong sure. dosage. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. And they knew about you and wanted to contact you. But couldn't because of ridiculous red tape somewhere in the medical system. And your yeah. doctor's not listening to you. And yeah. you could have been in less pain this whole time. That's infuriating. It is. It is. It's in, it is because I feel like I have a lot of damage um, that maybe could have been prevented. Sure. And just that, just, you know, so now it's like I do, I definitely still feel tired. But I know towards the end of the two weeks, I'm dragging. I'm, I'm dragging it's, and then I have, I do my infusion. And then I, about two days later, I'm like, Oh, I feel, I feel good. Like, I feel, I feel like, but you know, when you talk about pain, then you get into the whole, like the fact that I take pain medication. So that's a whole thing. Another thing I get judged on is that I 
I can't, I can't function without it. It's, Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not a a want. I wish I didn't have to take this, Mm -hmm. but my, I hurt so bad. I'm never not in pain. It doesn't take away my pain. It makes it tolerable. Wow. And yeah, I totally hear you on that. Absolutely. And I, you know, I, I need pain medication to function also. And it's like, when I don't have it, I, I just can't get my body to do anything. It's like, yeah. no matter how hard you think, move, move, move. It's like, your body's like, I don't want to, you know, it's too yeah. painful. And it's like, you can't, you can't just hold your hand over an open flame. You know, your brain has defense mechanisms that forces you to pull it away and say, ouch, for some reason. But, and it's, it's like that when you're in full body pain, your body just sort of like refuses to do things. And then medication can help that feeling to go away and help you to feel a little bit closer to normal functioning. Yeah. And our normal, right? Yeah. Our our normal. Yeah. And because we need that, but other people don't, the people that don't need it are like, well, you don't need that because I don't need that. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, yeah, you have a different body, you jerk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you no, need different things, you know? Yeah. It's so true. And I love your analogy with your hand over a flame because it's, it is. And, and you do, you get to the point where you're like, I, I mean, and I do, even with pain medication, uh, there are days where I lay on the couch and I am like in the fetal position for a while because I'm having a very bad day and I hurt. And those days I might take one extra pain pill because mm-hmm. I hurt so bad. Um, but you're so judged. You're so judged. I'm very fortunate that my doctor understands that aspect of it and he does prescribe it. But I saw a GI doctor. I had to have an endoscopy. And um, her report was like, well, you know, getting off narcotics would help or something to that effect. So I'm like, oh, I would love to be off narcotics. Trust me. Trust me. But please spend one hour in my body and yeah. come back and do that. Yeah. You have a genetic disease that causes pain. Yeah. So do you mind sharing what, what narcotic you use? Yeah, sure. I take Norco. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, that's the one that I take. Um, I used to get Percocet when it was like for those really bad days, but they stopped doing that. So now I'll just have to take a second Norco. Yeah. And I'm sure it's, you know, very closely monitored how much you're taking. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, and that's the funny thing is, is do you know when I refill... I still have some left over. I just refill so that I don't lose that. And I, and I mm-hmm. have, in case something ever were to happen, I just, and I'm so careful. Like it's locked in a safe. Like it's, I don't like my kids don't have the combination to the safe. I'm not out there like, Oh, anybody want a pain pill? No, those are mine. I need them. <laughs> so, so it's, um, I don't know if you take Norco either. Like, is that's what you take to help, but it does help. Yeah, I've been through several different things. I used to take tramadol, which was the, uh, well, it's, it's a synthetic opiate. Um, and that's the one that was, you know, hard to get and uh, had to be monitored how much I was taking. But but yeah, I would always have some left over when I would refill because I was taking less than prescribed. You know, it was yeah. an as-needed situation for me. And I was very careful with how much I took. I was definitely not super careful with like, I mean, this was back in the days where I was playing in bands and I was drinking and, you know, I, I was not super careful in that way around it. Uh, but, but then it became re- reclassified as a Schedule 1 narcotic and I couldn't get it anymore. And that's when I switched over to cannabis products because that had just become legalized yeah. and it was super easy to get. And I found to have a more consistent 
um, experience with it. Like with mm-hmm. uh, tramadol, I couldn't take it more than one day in a row because it would not work the second day and then make me feel kind of weird. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, so I would probably not take it more than like once, maybe twice a week. Um, and this was uh, way, you know, when my pain level was way lower before I flared up this last time. Um, but when I started needing, when I flared up, I needed something more consistent. I switched to the cannabis products for a long time. And uh, my now that I'm on a new medication cocktail, I'm on a uh, meloxicam, which is a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, um, which uh, an NSAID drug like ibuprofen. Um, yeah. And that had never worked for me before until I started taking it for like at least a week because there's like an adjustment period. And then it started to help, um, which I was shocked to discover. And I'm also taking Lyrica right now, uh, okay. which I, it's like a nerve, uh, it helps with nerve pain. And I'm not sure if it's working or not, but I think it might be helping because um, I had okay. to be on it for months before I could really notice it. I've been doing really, like really well recently. And I think that that's part of it. I think the the diet I was telling you about is part of it as well. Um, but I don't really know. So now I'm on these like three different things that are all sort of helping. If I take any one of them out, I get worse. So it's, sure. I've I've gotten really lucky finding this sort of cocktail that is helpful. And I'm also I'm also on uh, uh, several other things. <laughs> it's a long list. Um, but like, every piece of it is a piece of this cocktail that seems to be chipping away at the constant pain um, and. Yeah. I'm finally in this place where it seems to be kind of all working together in a nice way, but it took like a really dedicated doctor trying to help and months of experimentation to get to this place. Yeah. And, you know, no other doctor was willing to even approach this um, for, for years and years. Yeah. It, it, I'm, I'm so glad that you, you found that because you're right. You, you do have to get the right doctor to really play around and have that patience to figure out what is going to work best for you. Right. Because what works for you may not work for the next person, but it works for you. And regarding cannabis products, like they just, it gets such a bad rap. And it's like there, it is, it really does wonders for a lot of people. Yeah. There, I mean, a lot of people. So I, I just, I just feel like that's another one that's like, oh, oh. And you're, it's like, I'm, <sighs> yeah, it's, it's super frustrating. And, you know, if, if Norco is the thing that helps with, with your disease, like that's what you should take, you know, like if that's what allows you to function, then, then that's what you should take. And yes, there is danger with everything, you know, like there's a danger with, with, uh, NSAID drugs that you can have stomach bleeding and there's, you know, danger. I've just learned recently there's danger with cannabis products that they can elevate your heart rate. Um, and you know, that's part of why I had to stop using them because my heart rate was getting up to like 150 and we thought I had POTS. Um, but also, I'm learning now that the if you have histamine intolerance, eating food with histamine will raise your heart rate. And I've also taken that out of the equation. So I'm like, oh, which one was really hurting the heart rate the most? And but every person's body is different. Like all these little things make a difference. Like you know, if I were to take the enzyme that you take, I'd probably get very sick because yeah. I don't have that deficiency. So let's just like meet people where they're at, believe them when they say this is what they need. You know, you've done the work, you have the experience to know what your body requires to function, and you can feel it when you don't have it and you don't function as well. So, like, yeah. listen, let's just listen to you and, and trust you, you know? Yeah, it's it's so true. It's 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 true. And I, I really, I'm careful on who I, you know, I'll never lie to you, I don't take it, but I don't, like, openly share with a lot of people only because, like, I just know, like, they're just going to judge me or they're going to just think that, you know, it's... 
but I, I know I remember I had to go. So kind of when they took me off the Percocet, and it, and it really deals with like poor, you know, I do feel bad for doctors because they are really scrutinized for giving out pain meds because there was this abuse and overprescribing it for so long. Mm-hmm. So they have to justify and they have to. So I think it was pre-COVID for sure. I had to see this um, pain management doctor. She was like a palliative care. I was like, what am I going to palliative care? But she ended up just being kind of both, right? Until I get there and I'm, I'm, I was crying because I was like, she's going to come in and she's going to tell me she's taking me off everything. And that's just the way it is. And I'm not going to be able to function. And I remember just sitting there crying because I thought, I don't, I don't know what my future looks like now. And she came in and first she was like, Oh, please don't cry. And I was like, but I I know what you're going to do. She said, no, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's not, she goes, we just have to have this plan you know, whatnot. And I said, okay, do I have to sign like a pain management agreement? She's like, there is so much in your chart validating why you have to take this. It felt so that was a really good, like, Mm. you hear me, you believe me. I'm not an abuser. I'm not an addict. I just want to function every day. Yeah, absolutely. Like that is exactly what these pills are for. And we're in this weird place where a lot of people who need that can't get it. Uh, and, you know, I think a huge part of this problem, the, the reason this became a problem, like we talk about doctors not listening to people um, all the time. Like you, it's happened to you so many times already mm-hmm. in just the story we've heard today. Doctors not listening to you, not believing you. Uh, and I feel like, you know, when people go into the doctor and they have chronic pain, it is easier to prescribe opiates or narcotics than it is to figure out what's causing the pain and try to address it. And I think that for years, that's what doctors would choose to do because it was easier uh, yeah. and, and maybe just stop there, you know, and not, not look any deeper. And yeah. now we're in this weird place. And I, you know, I think, I wonder if that may have contributed, I'm not trying to accuse anyone of anything here, but I'm wondering if that may have contributed to the opioid crisis yeah. that we found ourselves oh, yeah. in. And now we're in this position where it's like, well, I can't give you those opiates. And I also don't want to f- figure out what's causing your disease so I think it's all in your head and I think you should see a psychiatrist, you know, like that's what happened to me over and over again. So yeah. like, that's the place we find ourselves now. Um, yeah. And when we really just need a fundamental shift in the way that doctors are trained to manage the way that people are explaining what's happening in their bodies, you know, like, yeah. I, I know that I know that I'm saying this from the outside and I know that it would be different if I were a doctor and I had met with, you know, hundreds of thousands of patients and a serious chunk of them had maybe been trying to get pills when they didn't need them or something like i'm sure that that does happen but i think that the percentage of that is way lower than reported because i think that a lot of people you know really need that pain medication and and want like you know want to be in less pain yes they want those drugs because they want to be in less pain yeah exactly yes i i want them i do like you said you want them yeah I don't want to be in so much pain. I don't exactly. want to be in this, yeah. in this. And I would love to be wake up one day and be cured and be like, oh, I don't, I don't need anything. I that would be amazing. That would yeah. be a dream come true. But that's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Like I used to say, you know, I when I first started using cannabis every day, is like this is allowing me to live. This is giving me my life back. I adore this stuff. But after a while, I started to say, like, I really wish I didn't need this every day. I'd really like to not take this every day. And then when yeah. I finally was able to switch my medication regimen up, cannabis does not mix well with what I'm taking now. So it doesn't really help anymore 
And in fact, it can make me feel worse sometimes. So now I'm in this place where I really can't use it anymore. <laughs> and yeah. I've just completely gone off of it and switched to something else. And there's a part of me that really misses it because the comfort of having something in my back pocket that I could just use to feel a little bit better was so amazing. But on the other hand, I, I have gotten what I've been asking for, which is I don't want to need this every day. Of course, I, now I need something else every day. And that's complicated, which leads me to my next question, which is, um, do you have any anxiety around the fact that if you can't get this medication or if you run out or if you can't have access to your infusions, then you w- aren't able to function? Is that a, a, a stress in your life, that fear? Yes, very much. So very, very much. And um, it's, that's kind of like how we talked about like moving and whatnot, like, oh, moving somewhere else that that's one that's one deterrent for me, because I have to have good health insurance, my infusions. um, I'm very fortunate that I have very good health insurance. But they're like $80,000 a month. That's wow. to just the medication, the supplies that get delivered are another 6000 a month. So I'm very, very fortunate. Um, and I feel very guilty sometimes because I know people aren't in that position to have such great health insurance. So I always have to have a job. My, me or my husband always have to have a job that offers extremely good benefits. Um, and I can't move somewhere where I have to start all over with somebody who knows nothing about this or doesn't want to take the time. And so that's another fear for me thinking like, if I have to start all over with new doctors and they don't take me seriously or they don't want to give me my pain medication or I can't get my infusions, what's the quality of my life? It's yeah. not a good quality. That's horrifying. Yeah. Before we started recording, we were talking about um, how I moved up here from San Diego because it was too hot all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's really interesting how that kind of ties you to a place. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's horrifying that this medication that is allowing you to live is, you know, over $80,000 a month for someone Isn't who doesn't it? have insurance. Like that's, that's a crime. Like, why are we, why are we putting this price tag on people's lives? I, I, I agree. I agree. And I will say like the Gaucher foundation and they're really good about helping people. Um, I believe I've, I've never had to use them. I'm so thankful, but I have heard that they will assist um, mm. or advocate, you know, to get you tested or whatnot. But I think about that all the time. I, and I see on this Facebook post, you know, I see people like, Oh, have you ever dealt with this insurance and, you know, denying it and having to fight it or, and I'm just like, Oh my gosh, like I, that would cause so much stress in my life if I had to write my insurance to cover this. And if you're in the, if you're not getting your medication and you're in so much pain and not functional and you have to fight insurance, like that is, that's an absolute nightmare. Like that feels kind of impossible. And people end up in that position and people end up homeless because they can't get what they need medically. And yeah. And, and then they're just like discarded by society. And yeah. it's like absolutely horrific what happens yeah. to people in this country because of like insane laws and prices around our own health. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I don't understand why it's so expensive. And, and like you said, ending up homeless. If you don't treat what's going on and your body can no longer function and you can't go to a, get a job to get that income, you are going to end up homeless. Yeah. Um, or if you can't work because maybe you are on treatment for whatever you have, but it's just so bad and you're on permanent disability, 
you're not making bank. Like you're literally getting barely enough to get by. Yeah. And I've been so, trying to get on disability for over a year now, and I still haven't heard back <laughs> about my second application. <laughs> you have to do it twice, right? Because they immediately deny it the first yeah. time after I've heard. Like it's immediate denial, and then you have to fight it. Yeah. And you yeah. have to I appealed. I'm sure that's going to be denied as well. And then depending on where I'm at with my health, I might go for a lawyer and try to do it that way. I'm really, yeah. I'm like so close to being able to go back to work right now. I'm like, I'm doing better recently, but I'm on this like knife's edge where when I push it, I crash. And I'm trying to find, is there a balance in there where I could function regularly? Because that's what I need to be able to work is to be able to say, hey, I can do this job you know, I can, I can show up this amount of hours per week and I'm so close, you know, the closer than I've been in six years, um, which is so exciting. But at the same time, it's like, well, if I get there before, before they even finish denying my disability application, you know, um, because it's also like, I haven't worked for six years. And if I'm awarded disability, I will get back pay for the amount of time that I haven't worked. And that would be life-saving, you know, but it's, it's not life-saving for me. And I, I have to acknowledge the luck of this for me that I have family and friends supporting me. You know, like I, 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 I would have fallen through the cracks and like just completely fallen out of society entirely if it weren't for the support of my family and friends. Like I, I could have been one of those people that didn't have a home because I couldn't afford it because I couldn't work. That absolutely could have happened to me. Uh, but I had safety nets that I'm so incredibly grateful to have. And uh, that I, I feel so lucky about that. I mean, I wouldn't be creating this show otherwise. I wouldn't, you know, like this show is kind of also felt like a lifeline for me as far as like giving me something to do inside of not being able to work a traditional job to bring in a little bit of income and to, you know, give myself a sense of purpose and passion, something to look forward to every week. And this has helped me to get closer to being able to work by pushing myself to do this. And it's been yeah. amazing. But like, I am coming from a place of privilege. And even though I, I my body is like, has not worked well enough for me to to work for like over six years. I still am coming from a place of privilege of 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 having a support system and a safety net, which so many people don't have. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. I love that you recognize that, you know, you are in that position and that's great and that's wonderful. But you said something else that I really was so glad to hear you say is that you know like if you push yourself too hard. So you know your limitations. And that's something that's really hard to accept your limitations, mm-hmm. right? And I I think there's times, you know, through my life and I'm sure through yours, where you push too hard and you paid the price. Yeah. So knowing that you when you said like, well, what if I do that? And then I just I'm just not ready and I just slide right back. Like it's it's a fear, right? Because yeah, you have to your body is screaming at you at times. And when mm-hmm. we don't listen, we pay the price. Absolutely. And and I'm trying to be really careful about that. And like, I'm trying to prove to myself that I can work first and then get a job by, you know, doing content creation. Like I have so much that I want to make. I just, you know, had this amazing opportunity where Paramount Pictures paid me to make a Star Trek TikTok for my my other hobby, which was so amazing. Um, Yeah. yeah, So I'm like, okay, well, let me just do do more work. Uh, And I and I'm I'm hitting I'm hitting barriers, you know. And I'm just having to listen to those barriers and say, okay, time to lie down. You know, my body's telling me what's up. I got to listen. But that's really tough. Um, Yeah. It is tough. And not only that, it's tough when it affects other people. So you have plans to go somewhere with someone. And then that day say, I'm sorry, I just can't. 
or like, hey, our plans were to be physical, like go out and do something physically exhausting. Can we can we pivot and can we do something else? Because it's just not a good day for me. And you find people that aren't really accepting of that or they don't want to contact you anymore because you canceled too many times on that. So yeah. They didn't yeah. cancel if they wanted to. I know. It's uh, that's <laughs> that's a whole that's a whole conversation of like yeah, managing, really? <laughs> yeah, living with, with something like this. Tell me about the enzyme that you are deficient in. Tell me again what it's called and what does it do? So I take a medication called Serazyme. It's like glucocerebricide enzyme. And I don't know, like, I don't really get technical. I just, I'm like, it just replaces that enzyme and it helps everything get, you know, like my plans. So let me tell you, for the first time ever, I'm actually at a normal platelet rate and I just had my labs done a month ago and I attribute it to being on the right, right dosage. Um, so it it brings my platelets up. It has shrunk my liver, my, um, liver and spleen a little bit. It does not help with the bone pain. It does not help me at all with that, but it does, I'm sure stop my body from creating more damage and, um, it does help with the fatigue. Wow. So it, it is, um, but yeah, it was really exciting day when I saw my labs. Yeah, totally. And I'm, I'll try not to get too technical, but can you tell us, like, what are platelets? You know, that's one of these things that I, like, this is why I'm not qualified to give medical advice. I couldn't <laughs> tell you what a platelet is. I know it's like something in your blood, but that's all I know. Yeah. So that's the major thing. It does affect like your red blood cells, white blood cells, but the platelets stop you from bleeding. So there you're clotting. Mm. Um, if you don't have any platelets, you're, you're not going to stop bleeding. You're just... Um, so as a, as a child, I remember my mom told me when I was very, very little, I used to get nosebleeds all the time. And that is um, another thing that happens to Gaucher patients because you, you don't clot like you just, um, so it's a very big concern when you do anything physical and, and you could have that internal bleeding and not know. And I was, I've been as low, they almost hospitalized me at one point. I was so low, but I was pregnant and when I, both both my pregnancies, the baby pushes on, like clamps off my spleen and my platelets rose. That's how it was explained to me anyways. My OB explained it that way. So I was very fortunate that it went back up. But Wow, that's, that's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, 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 it is. I mean, that's why I have to be so careful. Like I don't, not only can I break, but I can bleed. Um, I'm just at the very minimum of the platelets, by the way. I'm not like way up here. I'm, but, but, but it wasn't red. It was normal. Um, wow. So. Yeah. So you have to be, you have to be very, very careful. Yeah. So when you, when you're low on platelets and when you're low on this enzyme, it sounds like it it causes damage to your body over time. Um, like the enlarging of these organs. Uh, what, what, do you know what other type of damage it can cause? Well, there's bone damage. I have just cause, cause the Gaucher cells go into your bones. So I just, I know that I have like, I mean, I've had a bone density. I'm definitely, you know, not where I should be for my age. I'm pretty negative in my hips. And um, so there was some slight improvement though with this last one, but I'm still not like, it was like osteoporosis and then this osteopenia. So I'm still not like, I definitely have very weak bones. And growing up, I broke my arm three times and then I broke it once as an adult when I already knew I had Gaucher, but that would, that it just all adds up. Like you, Mm have fractures easily you you have to be very careful the times that i've broken my arms i shouldn't have broken my arm like it was a fall that somebody else would have been like oh that kind of hurt heartbreak yeah yeah very interesting and as you're on the the proper medication now 
you said that uh, the bone density went up a little bit on the last scan. Teeny tiny bit. Teeny, teeny tiny, tiny bit. bit. Yeah, Is that teeny. a trend that you hope to see continue? I ho- I would love that. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely would love to see that continue. But um, I don't. I guess I don't really have high hopes. I feel like, but as long as it doesn't keep decreasing, then I'll be okay. I'll be happy. Yeah. So for this like decade that you were on the wrong dosage, things went in the wrong direction. It sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you finally got on the right dosage and things start going in the right direction. What did that feel like? It feels so good. It really does. Like I'm, sorry, I'm so thankful to those two women who really kind of did as much pushing as they could for me because, um, I, I just, I don't have that constant need to want to, to nap or to sleep where I did before I could sleep all day. I could, I could just lay on the couch and just be out. Whereas now I don't nap, which is pretty amazing. I'll, I will nap if it's, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm struggling today, but that's not something I normally do anymore. So that's, that's a big change for me. Um, that's the major one is just the fatigue and then seeing my labs. That was really exciting. Yeah. I mean, for a lifetime of, of having labs come back and, and be discouraging yeah. to have labs come back and be encouraging for the first time must be a wild feeling. Yeah, it was. I feel like people didn't understand my excitement. I mean, <laughs> the closest to me did because they get, you know, but like other people, they're probably like, okay, all right. Like, you don't understand. That's <laughs> a big deal. Yeah, totally. I mean, you're living with so many different invisible things at the same time. Like, just having chronic fatigue, whether it's like just being tired or, or having, you know, actual chronic fatigue syndrome, um, that alone is extremely de- debilitating. You know, being yeah. so tired that you can't function is extremely debilitating. And yeah. anyone who anyone who thinks otherwise has not lived through it. Um, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Con- constant pain is debilitating. Like this bone pain sounds horrible. And it is. <laughs> yeah, to live through that your entire life. I mean, you probably didn't even know that that was unusual until a certain age to be in pain all the time. Yeah. You don't, especially when you say something and they're like, oh, it's just growing pain. Do you think all oh, your friends must be going through it too? Yeah. So yeah, it is bone pain is it's horrific. It's not, I, I'm just, I'm never, I'm never, ever pain free. So that's where it's like, it's frustrating because other people don't know, like to, I don't know what it's like to wake up and just be like, Oh, I feel great. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And on the fatigue, it's interesting. Um, I used to, every time we got in the car and I wasn't driving, I slept. Didn't matter where we we're going. I would just like close my eyes. I don't do that anymore. So that's really exciting. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you have this like new lease on life because you're finally given proper treatment for something that yeah. you've known you had since you were 18. Yeah. Yeah. How do you deal with that anger? I'm getting angry on your behalf just thinking about this. Um, I just don't because I know it doesn't change anything. Mm-hmm. I've dealt with a lot of, I've already been through the anger, the grief, the, and I'm not perfect. I have my moments still where I have a pity party. I do, you know, when I'm having a bad day, I will have myself a little pity party. But then again, I look at so many other things out there. And that's the one thing seeing a hematologist, because he's also an oncologist. It's, it's humbling. When I go to the doctor, it's very humbling because I'm okay. Hmm. I'm not questioning if I'm going to live or die in the next few months where I look at these other poor patients that are there. I'll never forget once I was sitting in an exam room and I heard somebody must have gotten the worst news and I heard her breakdown. And I, I just sat there and I went, okay, pull your big girl pants up. 
you are not as bad off as she is. So I think that's what kind of helps me is just knowing that I'm still okay. How long did it take to come to that place of acceptance? It took a very long time. It took a very, very long time. I don't even know when I came to it. I just know I'm there now, but it did. It did take a really long time because I was so angry, you know, and so emotional and so sad. And so for the long, for the long time and embarrassed, I think there were times I was embarrassed. I know when I met my husband, I mean, having that conversation with him, I was super scared to have this conversation because I am not easy to love me is not easy because I come with this baggage and I come and I'm so thankful, but he's so good. And he took it so well. And he, not to be corny, but I couldn't have asked for a better person that, you know, really like, cause he's just got that nurturing nature for me. And, yeah. and actually, he reconstitutes my meds because he just enjoys doing it. And so I haven't even done it in so long because. Re- reconstitutes your meds. What does that mean? Look, my med- my medication comes in little vials, little powder vials. And I do 10 each infusion and you have to mix it with sterile water. And then once that's mixed up, then it goes in the IV bag, but you actually have to take water out of the IV bag first it's, it's a process. Yeah. <laughs> it's a process. And then, um, then that goes in and it's, so that probably takes about 20 minutes, 30 minutes to kind of get set up. Then the infusion itself, it's really funny because my pump that, that keeps it on that timer is for two and a half hours, but I always have to set it more because I'm not done. So I would say it's probably like a three hour infusion process. Wow. Well, that's so lucky you can do it at home. So lucky. I've fallen asleep doing it. I'll read, I'll watch TV. Um, I try not to move around the house a lot because my dog seems to like be a magnet to my IV line and she'll want to, I'm like, I'm going to pull it out of my, out of my chest. So yeah. what is the, so the port is in your chest? Yeah. So I, I can just see it. I have a little scar right here. Um, mm-hmm. That's where my port is. So my first one was further down in my left chest, um, like in my breast area. And then, because, uh, you know, I was young and thin and I had no body fat. So they had to put it there. Now, now there's body fat. But then I had one in my arm and that was unfortunately um, a really bad place because people would come and like grab me like, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in so long. And it, I think inevitably there was just trauma to it because that's what happened. I swelled up and, and it wasn't infected. So it was just trauma. And then that's when I got the, um, this one here. Yeah. Cause hopefully no one, no, no one's coming up and grabbing your chest to say hi. No, but I will <laughs> get um, like, so if I hug people, I can feel it, but mm-hmm. I will get people's eyes that go to it when I'm wearing a tank top. But instead of asking I just feel like they're just kind of like trying to figure it out. Um, I made a TikTok one time and somebody commented, damn, how big was that mosquito? And I was like, <laughs> 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 I thought it was so funny. I was like, no, it's not a mosquito bite. And I answered him. I was like, it, it's a port. Like it's a scar. It's my port lives under there. But because not only is it a scar, you definitely, you see the hole, you know, not the hole, but like you can tell where I, where I prick every time. Wow. What's involved yeah. in installing that? Um, oh, do you, have, do you have a minute to hear about my, my port story? <laughs> so, when I got my first one put in, it was put in by a surgeon. <clears throat> I was out, her surgeon put it in. Um, I had that one for about 10 years and then um, it, it no longer worked. So they went to take it out, but nobody ever looked at the fact that it was put in by a surgeon. And sent me to an outpatient radiologist to get it taken out. 
So as I'm laying there and, um, and it was kind of funny because at first I was a little nervous and the guy was kind of a dick to me, sorry, a jerk to, apologize, <laughs> That's a okay. jerk to me. Um, and, um, he's like, are you going to be okay? And I, I remember I was just like, I I'm just a little nervous. That's all. Like I'm, I'm awake. You know, I don't want to be awake for this. And as he started cutting, which I couldn't feel cause I was pretty numb. He's like, where is this? Where is this? And it was way deeper than it, than he thought. And he's like, who put this in? And I told him the name of the surgeon. And he was like, it was put in by a surgeon. I said, "Uh uh-huh. He was, he got mad. So his demeanor changed with me because he then realized, oh yeah, no, this poor girl, like this shouldn't be here. He was apologizing to me, telling me that I should be in an operating room. He was having his staff reach out to that surgeon. So he finally gets there. Okay. Finally gets to that. And I'm still like, I'm okay. I don't feel it. I know I'm open, but I don't want to look. And he goes to pull it out. Well, it was connected up here. So I was like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? Like, it's connected up here. This, when he cut here, was excruciating. That is the only time in my life that I thought, if I die, I'm okay. Like, this is, I'm okay if I die right now. And that he had a PA come over, hold my hand. And as I'm just, I'm, I'm not even making sound. I'm just crying. Like, there's just... He's profusely apologizing because it was like 10 years of nerves that had built over this little place where it was connected. Wow. And he was so I was green from all the way up by my collarbone down to my navel, green. I had to come back in a couple of days to get a new port. I go in and the guy that's coming to get me, he's like, okay, so we're putting on a port in your chest. I said, you're absolutely not touching my chest. And he's like, well, that's the plan. I said, sir you can call down there, but I am not, I'm not. And when they called down there, they said, Oh no, 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 no. We're not, we're not touching her chest. They, cause they knew I mean, I, it was really bad. It was really bad. Wow. Yeah. You've been through a lot. I mean, have you ever, you've experienced a lot of malpractice. I have, I have. Yeah. And I've never pursued. I've just, it's just not worth it to me to. Yeah. I mean, that's like a, that's a full-time job trying to pursue yeah. that. But yeah. it, and it's it's awful because like these things keep happening to people. Yeah, they do. They do. They do. And people don't realize like you have to be your own advocate. And when Absolutely. you have children, you have to be the advocate for your children. Yeah. No one else is going to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. I still learn that every day. Even with my great new doctor, last appointment I had was so good. They put in all these new labs for me to go do. And I did a 24-hour urine collection and they ordered the wrong thing. <laughs> you got to have your own back. You, you know? do. That's exactly it. You got to have yeah. your own back. You got to check all the orders. You know, you got to, you got to make sure all the right things are being tested. Like no one else is going to care about what happens to your body as much as you do. So you have to keep doing that. It is a full-time job and no one else is going to do it. And it's awful that that's the way it is because we're all so exhausted, you know, dealing with what we're dealing with in, in our bodies. But you, you have to become your own advocate and sort of your own doctor as well. You have to learn enough about your disease to know what you're advocating for and keep yeah. pushing people. Like you got diagnosed because you pushed your doctor because your sister was diagnosed. Yeah. Um, and that, it's interesting. Like sometimes doctors won't listen to you unless you have a family history of something. Yeah. Um, and then like that will absolutely like change on a dime the way that they're talking to you. Yeah, it's so true. And, it, and, it's, and it's hard, you know, because like I work with doctors all the time. And so I want to be such an advocate for these doctors, but then I have to remember they're just human and there's bad ones out there. Yeah. Like they're really great ones and there's bad ones and some that just should 
just have no business practicing. Absolutely. Well, I know you have an invisible disease, so you have this opportunity to tell the world about what you're experiencing. I've learned so much already, but if you had to sum up, you know, what do you want people to know about Gaucher's disease? So I just, I guess, I just, I want people to know in general, listen to your body. If, if something doesn't feel right, most likely there's something going on. But second, have compassion because you just don't know what someone's going through. And you may be on this, having the greatest day ever, but someone else is not. And you just, you just need to have compassion. And when you look at someone like me and like you, who look so normal, we look like we should be regularly functioning adults. Just remember that maybe we're not because you and I are not like we, we struggle. So um, that that's really it. I love to spread awareness. So if anybody wanted to look up Gaucher disease, I think it's a great, um, you know, just to educate yourself. I love to educate myself on other diseases. Yeah. Totally. And like, yeah. And this mine is so rare. I think I told you, I'm like, I just read an article that there's 6,000 approximately in the U S with this disease. Wow. I mean, of course in other countries, there's more, but wow. Yeah. Well, that brings me to my last question. If you were able to address one of those 6,000 people, you know, someone else with your disease, but let's say it's someone who is just diagnosed and is feeling fear and doesn't know what's ahead. What would you, what advice would you have for that person? That they're going to be okay. As long as they follow what needs to be done and, and advocate for themselves and are, you know, comply with the treatment and push to get the treatment and you're not crazy. You really are feeling this way. And if, and the one thing I like to tell people that if it's your child that has it, listen to your child. Your child's not lazy and your child really is in pain. So just advocate and validate and validate yourself when you're having a bad day. Don't be hard on yourself. Just validate that comes with the territory. Yeah. I mean, oftentimes that can be such a, that can help, you know, so much. Like, uh, oftentimes, like just being told by someone else, what you're experiencing is real, and I believe you can make all the difference in the world. Yeah, very much, very much. Just one one person validating you can change everything because it's so hard to lose that. I mean, it's so easy to lose that validation. Absolutely. Wow, what an amazing conversation. I've learned so much today. I've had so much fun. Um, you know, it's always just such a joy to talk to someone else with a chronic illness who has lived some similar things, even though, you know, a lot of what we lived is so different. Um, just so validating to talk to someone else and hear their story. So thank you so much for sharing today. Please tell us where we can find you online or if there's anything else that you'd like to plug. Um, so I do, I do have a TikTok and I do, I do have some videos that address this and even while I'm infusing. And then, you know, the other thing is just me being me, I'm 12 years old inside. Um, but it's Adriana, A-D-R-I-A-N-N-A, Carmela, C-A-R-M-E-L-A is my TikTok name. Awesome. I'll tag you on TikTok when this episode goes up. Um, are, you, are you on Instagram as well? That's the other social media I am. platform. Oh, I yeah, use. I am. Same spelling of my first name, Adriana with two N's, Baker. And I'm on Instagram. Awesome. I'll tag you on both of those spots when yeah. your episode goes oh. up. Well, Adriana, what a great conversation. I, I just love this so much. Thank you so much for sharing your story, for being so open, and for shining light on something that is very rare. You know, I mean, it's, I, I always feel so lucky to talk to someone with a rare disease. I hope to build a library of conversations with as many diseases as possible. And, you know, for something rare where 
Other people may not have ever met someone else with their disease. I hope they find this and hear your story and feel a little less alone. Um, and that is such a gift. So thank you so much for your time and for coming on the show. And thank you so much for doing this podcast and spreading this awareness. I absolutely love it. And I love listening to the stories um, when your episodes come out. So Awesome. Thank you so much. You did a really great job today. Thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain. I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Brooke Walters-Schmidt, Kelsey Madsen, All Around Foundation Waterproofing, Danielle Signorelli, Alexandria Henderson, and Justin Minnick. And our $25 per month producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpain podcast.